Hello everyone and welcome to Day of the Dad, the fortnightly podcast about the mores, manners and madness of modern parenting. I'm Edward. Hello. And with me is my co-presenter Keith Stewart. Or Hello. Th- Sorry. <laughs> Keith Stewart, the grand interrupter, uh, author of the best-selling novel, A Boy Made of Blocks. Ah, yeah, timing's everything for fiction. <laughs> oh God, this one's going wrong already. And this week we're continuing our look at what it's like to have a baby mm. after um, the birth of my daughter, baby Lois, uh, Amir, some weeks ago. Uh, about seven weeks ago mm-hmm. now. I like the way you're really engaged. <laughs> you don't even remember when it was. And you're a bit hungover. A little bit, yeah. So it's going to be a cracking episode. As always, thank you so much for listening and for your support. Please do go online and uh, review and hit the sub- subscribe button. Uh, as you can tell, it's going to be a quality episode, so you definitely don't want to miss the next one because it will be just as good as this one. So, hello, Keith. Hi. How was your week? Uh, yeah, it's been okay. Uh, I've been to a video games conference, uh, and yeah, I was at an industry party, so got uh, had a little bit too much free booze. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay. Uh, I haven't done any of those things. I was I was awake at two thirty trying to be morally supportive while my while my wife breastfed. Yeah, you have to think about, like, do I need to be awake for this? And you do, you absolutely have to be, especially in the first couple of weeks, you have to be awake, you have to be going through it as well, I think. Well, also, Lois sounds like a kind of little piglet when she's in bed. Lois is our daughter, by the way, not my wife. <laughs> and, uh, but she makes these kind of little... <laughs> Noise that are quite hard to sleep through. Yeah, is she. Um, so is she in a, a Moses basket next to your bed? She's in some. Yeah, kind of. Yes, yeah, she's in something called a Sleepyhead. Uh, which okay. The show is not sponsored by, but Sleepyhead. If you're out there, thanks, because it was actually really good. Uh, it's it's a bit like a. <laughs> Say that. It's a kind of a big curved cushion that encloses the baby and makes them feel protected. So it's not like being splayed out in a cot. Okay. So it's kind of enclosed at the sides, but it's still open to the world. Okay. So she's on top of a cot in a sleepy head. Okay. But they are not cheap. It's kind of like, is it sort of like, is it kind of like a cuddly womb or something? (laughs) It is a big fluffy womb. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You couldn't be more middle class, I don't think. What? Right. (laughs) What? Well, Moses Basket isn't good enough for you. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We didn't buy it from John Lewis, so we could have been more middle class. We could have bought it from John Lewis. Does it come with like an iPod dock so you can play like baby noises, like womb noises? And a kind of key cup. Yeah. A sort of reusable cup for your for your latte. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can just slot it inside. <laughs> no, wow. Okay. Now we just had a Moses basket, that was good enough for us. But yeah, you do hear a lot of baby noises. Well we just and threw our baby on the floor. Right. That, was, that was fine for us. That's what we did in our the old days. Board. Yeah. Just threw him into a pile Until of bags. It was old enough to work down the pit. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, they just had to go out and work. Right, right. fend for themselves. Can we? But, I was no. I was going to ask actually. My friend, my friend Keza has just had a baby. It was very interesting talking to her about the fear of your first child. And this is your second child. Yes. So did you go but through Katie's that thing first? Of, yeah, so Katie's first. So did did Katie go through that thing of like waking up a lot and just listening out for the baby breathing? Because we did that quite a lot, just like listening out for those sounds. But it sounds like your baby's making enough. As noise previously anyway. mentioned, yeah. our baby has a kind of inbuilt alarm. Right. So you know, given she sounds like a tiny pig. Mm. aeroplane taking off right uh we don't really worry about whether she's breathing okay. it's right there apparently it's very common for newborns to be very snuffly yes uh i say newborn uh, you know quite a couple almost a couple of months old but, but but snuffly little thing 
Um, but it does mean we know where she is at all times. Yeah. If you lose her down the back of the couch or whatever. Yeah, which can happen. Mm, it can happen. So, look, uh, let's go on to... Let's get the news out of the way. Okay. Uh, what is... So I've got this, <laughs> this story from a website called Market Watch, and it's appeared in another couple of sources about the rise of uh, smart toys for children. You don't mean just well turned out? No, I mean smart as in as in intelligent and computerised for me, children. Right okay. so the, and it, the, the story is essentially about this new era of co-opting or outsourcing parenthood to machines. Uh, and it mentions a couple of things. Uh, the smart toy monkey, which can tell your child a bedtime story. This is a hundred Why does it have to be a monkey? Because kids love monkeys. Um, <laughs> but the I want research. I want numbers. <laughs> and also, it goes on to mention a toy called the iPal, which is a three-foot-tall robot designed to keep your child company. Uh, there's a quote from J. Ping Wang, who's the founder of Avatar Mind, which is the the company that's made iPal, the robotic childcare monitor. And he says it's a robot for children. It's mainly for companionship. And he mm. told he um, he actually spoke to the Guardian about it last year, and he said uh, it could keep young children occupied for a couple of hours. A couple. So of it can hours. yeah, I mean, it will um, it can read to your child. It can uh, interact with them. It has kind of basic AI. So a number of things concern me here. Okay, go <laughs> I don't for it. quite know where to start. Okay. So the first thing that concerns me with uh, with this is why is it a three foot? T- it sounds kind of like this strange little gremlin. It looks a little bit like. Did you ever watch? Um, did you watch um, Buck Rogers in the seventies and, and later? It looks no, like it no, looks because like, I am not that old. Okay, it looks like the, the robot could, in that. I suppose I could be. No, I couldn't. No. Late seventies. I was. I was born in the. Okay, 70s. all right. Okay, so it was. It was also early eighties. Actually, Buck Rogers was the source of um, was my first crush. I had a crush on Wilmer in... I thought you were going to say Buck Rogers was your first crush. Well, he was crush. all right. But, um, so, but anyway, it looks like the robot in that. Which, so which what is it, what? Sort of small and, and a little white? And... No, no, it wasn't white. Although iPal's white. It's kind of innocent, small, innocent-looking robot. And all it did was make... It used to go around going... Bidi, bidi, bidi. Ah, famously. So you had a crush on that robot. You're getting really mixed up. No, I didn't have a crush on Wilma. I think it was Wilma. So that was the first thing that concerns me is you've got a crush on a robot. The second thing that concerns me is obviously the thing about leaving your child... With a robot. With a robot for... I, I mean, just there's so many problems here. Is, okay. it, is it safe? Is it a good idea? Surely they don't get the same from a robot what they would from a human interacting with a human? No. No, they wouldn't. No, I mean... But, uh, you know, we're or entering, a pet even. You know, or another uh, child. Do we need, why do we need it? Why do we need this? I'm, I, can I just point out that I'm not a developer or an investor in this company? No, but you love technology. I do love technology. Well, I think, no. I think, we, well, we are heading into an, a robotic aid assistance. So there's a, there's a lot of talk about the elderly being cared for by robots in the, in the not-too-distant future. So robots in care homes, uh, and especially for things like reminiscence therapy, so robots listening to and learning stories from the elderly. In the, in the modern world, where <clears throat> we're, gonna, we're entering into an era where there's going to be a lot more old people... But given my grandparents couldn't programme their video... They won't need to. They won't... This, this, this isn't a... Re- this is a... So I, 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 just envisage... I just don't believe this. Having, having had to, you know, reinstall a computer or, or you, you know... When when your phone gets full of random data and then you've got to work out why and then you can't be bothered and, and yeah. it's just full. 
they, they it will have to be turned off and on again. And then I just see old people and babies getting furious at yeah, their digital I mean, assistance not working. Yeah, that that's a very realistic scenario. <laughs> or your or the robot carer being hacked. Being hacked so and then being taking hacked the head by, off. By, yeah, by Russian hackers to... Uh, to uh, to support yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Massive audiences of robots so, uh, cheering uh, for Donald Trump. So the apocalypse is going to be hundreds of thousands of hacked uh, elderly robots. care robots <laughs> um, <laughs> killing us with, like, diabetes medication or it, something. It's high robot, but in a really dull way. Yeah, really slow. And the final thing that concerns me about this is we tried to introduce something to my son Isaac called a grow clock... Are you oh, yeah, aware we've of had the, the grow clock. clock, yeah. So a lot of people swear by this. My, my boss swears by this with uh, with her son, who's sort of still very little. Um, and, and this is a, a clock that turns sort of bright orange in the daytime when it's time to get up, and you can set what time that is, and then turns a nice dim kind of night bluey colour at yeah, night. Yeah, so it, it, it has a very faint picture of the moon at night with a blue yeah. background, blue lighting. And, and so kids know, the... kids know they can get up when it goes on. So, yeah, so basically as soon as the sun comes up on the clock, the kids know that they're allowed to get up. And this is a way of saying, you stay in bed, child, I'm asleep. Yes. Um, so the problem we had that it was that at the age of three... Isaac realised how to reprogram it. Exactly what was acted. Uh, so this is autistic kids for you, yeah, I suspect. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just turned around and went, Daddy, it's daytime at sort of 4am. Yes. Having turned it onto the daytime mode. Yeah, that happened to us. So my worry is that a child can therefore do this with the uh, the robot. Yes. Robot nanny and will end up like riding it around the streets, robbing people or something. You know, <laughs> no, we'll right. end up just massively misusing it. Yeah. I, that, I mean, I think obviously one of the, the key issues with this technology is going to be has who who has access to the programming. I do. I suspect that none of that will be actually on the robots themselves. It will be handled through apps. But I think in it, yeah, I completely understand the fears about this. We are, but we are moving into a roboticized, automated civilization. I don't want it. Me and Keith have had uh, long conversations before about whether the internet is a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, and yeah. Keith is very much on the side of good, and I am mostly on the side. I think of some bad. terrible things have happened because of the internet, but I think it's largely been beneficial to. The human race absolutely this isn't but, for now please no okay <laughs> what i would say is that we're already seeing people buying apps on their ipads for for for, ba- for babies and infants uh and and i and and that's and that's going to happen i think uh i'm not sure how i feel about robots with children but i do think it's inevitable and people will seek to create avenues to ease their lives and will increasingly use robots to do that stuff for them okay so we've been through the industrial revolution we've been through like uh consumer electronics revolution so dishwashers uh, you know so i think the next stage of this of the idea of convenience in the household is going to be roboticized i don't think there's any way of getting away from it so so let's do the reviews for the week mm-hmm. uh but let's get away from this digital future and talk about books yeah books Hooray. you read with your kids or your kids read yeah. yeah exactly so um and one of the one of the I, I wouldn't say recent trends but it's not recent at all but one of the big trends in in reading is is books where kids are quite naughty and uh and and the powerful figures in the book are children and and almost slightly more realistic and i'd say sort of Roald Dahl probably started this, but he was, of course, more grotesque and fairy tale in some ways. But but there's some very big series like Diary of the Wimpy Kid, mm. Horrid Henry, Tom Gates, Tom Gates, the Tom Gates books, um, the David Walliams books, all of which feature you know kids doing 
pretty naughty stuff or, or just acting as kids do at their worst yeah uh, which kids find very funny. These are essentially humour books for kids. Yeah. So the series that um, my son Isaac likes best, so he's um, almost seven, but he's been into this for, for a good year or more, is Horrid Henry uh, by Francesca Simon. This is a long-running series and was one of the first into this sort of area of, of, of naughty kids. Mm. Uh, for those who don't know, Horrid Henry is a just mean, horrible boy, uh, but who has a very, very perfect brother, perfect Peter, and friends with various other personality traits, most of whom are naughty in one respect or another. Mm. I hate these books. My son loves them. It's encouraged him to read longer books. So it's a bit of a tricky one, this, because on, on the one hand, that it does feel like it's encouraged kids to be naughty mm. uh, and for an autistic boy there's some copying possible there that is a bit mm, you know yeah, yeah. so I ration, I have to ration it at the same time seeing him extend his reading reading longer books wanting to read or be read to you yeah know, pushing books into your hand that's exciting yeah I think I think it's really important for children when they're growing up to I think one thing children really like in their lives is agency like they're told what to do when to do it their whole lives is controlled either by their parents or by other authority figures like teachers so they live very kind of very restrict restricted lives that are full of discipline so I think what these books do is is give them a, you know an alternate universe they allow them to ex- they allow them to explore things that they might be thinking about which is oh why do I have to do every, what everyone tells me all the time so these books are almost like um, they're sort of surrogate brothers and sisters. They allow them to explore like different modes of behaviour without actually doing stuff. So I would say it's kind of, you know, it's interesting because this is like the whole violence video games debate. You know, on one uh, which I've had to be involved with in the last twenty years. You know, on one side there's people say that oh, do video games make people violent? On the other <coughs> side, is do they allow people to express and explore violence? without actually doing it. And I think, you know, I read the Beano when I was a kid and I think the Beano was like an originator, an important originator of the naughty kid mm-hmm. uh, or just, trope. W- just William or, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it goes back a long way and it goes back <clears> all the way through like, you know, Victorian Penny Dreadful comics always had naughty kids, but Dennis the Menace was like a key example for me. And I would never do this stuff and I was shocked by what Dennis did. But just the idea that there could be children, you know, living kind of vicariously through what Dennis did and what Hoyt Henry did, I think it's really important for kids, you know, to to have a kid that challenges the status quo, which you don't get to do. So, and that's what I loved about Roald Dahl. He treated his children with real kind of respect and they were ingenious and clever as well as... And it's also hard, isn't it, to underestimate how difficult it is to write for children mm. in a way that they will relate to, in the way that Jeff Kinney does with Wimpy Kid, in the way that Francesca Simon does with Horrid Henry, in the way that David Walliams does. It's a real skill, and actually, when you read bad examples of those things, yeah. you really notice. They can be really painfully... Uh, trying to get in with the kids. It can be, yeah, it can be really, it can be really painful to read. But a lot of these are books targeted at boys, aren't they? These are naughty boys for the most part. It, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is a trope. Although our producer was talking about uh, Naughtiest Girl books from the, was it 60s or 70s? Yeah, I feel like 60s, 70s. Um... This is producer Louise. Everyone. Yes, hi guys, hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, I used to read um, The Naughtiest Girl in school. Yeah. And, um, oh, 
was the other one? My Naughty Little Sister. That's the yes. one I was trying to remember earlier. Yeah. And we read, I mean, we read yeah. these. Certainly my sister read those when we were children. So they are out there, but it'd be nice to see maybe some... I mean, maybe maybe we just don't know about them. But yeah. it'd be nice to see some really big, best-selling series about girls. Yeah, I mean, there are actually, in the world of like graphic novels, we're seeing lots more stories about uh, young girls. So things like uh, Lumberjanes and Paper Girls are two really, really good series for like older children. And for, what sort of age are we talking? Well, I would say, I mean, I think <clears> my, when my son has read uh, Paper Girls, so uh, he's not, Abby's nine. So, I, you know, I would say from like eight upwards, they're fine. They're not aimed at children, but they are really interesting, good comics about gangs of girls. And, and most of those other books that we've mentioned are for roughly, I would say, six and up, some of them more eight and up. Yeah, we um, should, we, uh, yes. I was going to ask you actually what, uh, what you what you're planning to sort of read to your baby because when I mean, we yeah. went through my children were babies like 10 years ago and we went through all the julia donaldson yes that's books. not really baby though you no, get I to mean, that about age of two or three well we read you? them we read them to, did you yeah we read from they were a godsend when we finally got that no i mean there's a lot of the that's not my yes books which are hellish yeah because they're short and repetitive but babies can touch and feel them and yeah. there's the strokey things and yeah. you know so that's not my elephant i'm surprised no one's done uh, any parodies of those i think that could be legally dangerous really you could do that's not my nanny robot yeah that, it, yeah it is too tall <laughs> it is that's, too strict <laughs> it is too disciplinarian yeah. <laughs> Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So let's move on to the main uh, theme of the podcast today, given that um, we, not me and you, me and my wife have recently had a baby, Lois. Yes, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about birth today. The birth experience. And, um, from what, a father's perspective, obviously. From a father's perspective. I can try and talk for Katie, but I'm not sure she will appreciate it. Yeah. So... Obviously, you plan certain things in advance. Uh, we talked last week about, uh, last episode rather, about having a birth plan. Yeah. About packing a bag. Which was about telling the midwife about any pain, care mm-hmm. that you, and also if you wanted a water birth. Exactly. Or... So here was our intention. Mm-hmm. And we can compare, compare and contrast uh, what really happened. So we are lucky enough to live very near King's, Hospi- King's College Hospital in London, which is an amazing hospital with um, teaching hospital that's specialises in maternity. So they have a couple of midwife-led birthing centres, birthing rooms, which have double beds in them, so you can sleep the night together in the same bed. Wow. Uh, I know. And they have, you know, pools of lovely warm water. They have those sort of bouncy ball things Mm. that women can uh, sit on to to try and get more comfortable and so on. You know, they have everything low lighting, pictures of forests on the walls. And I expected these things to be massively oversubscribed. Mm. And uh, and there was an open day and they were both free. And it was, oh, I wonder why they're both free. That's very weird. And, you know, we were about, once Katie started going into labour, they said you have to ask when you arrive right. and I was thinking oh I'm a bit nervous in case uh, in case we don't get in there and this sort of thing we never went in there right. we never went in there because if you go in there you can't have an epidural 
and you can't say so the only pain relief you can have is kind of gas and air or or whatever because it's right. midlife midwife led they don't have doctors going to those rooms okay so the reason these things were always free is because as soon as anything goes wrong with the birth or you need extra help or a doctor needs to be involved you can't go in there so loads of people intend to go in there right but no one no one was okay which is a bit of a, a bit but of a shame you, i mean I, and you know a non-planned epidural is something that can often happen so very often very mm. often and, and 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 katie had one so so also you were saying i think in the last episode that um first babies can be a bit slower yeah and this was her first and um 35 hours 35 <sighs> long hours though someone in her entity class i believe was up around the 50 mark right uh, which is impressive, but but we did have to do that. It's thing. not a competition. <laughs> no, no. The two things that are not competitions and are worth remembering is uh, length of labour and sleep deprivation. Yes, those are not competitions. We're all in it together, people. Yeah, exactly. That does get it does get difficult. Uh, that talking about tiredness with other parents, and it's like, well, I was up from three. Well, you actually got to bed. Well, I didn't even. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, happens exactly. Yeah, my child hasn't slept since birth, and they're mm. five. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, so so no so we had to do that thing actually uh, so she started getting contractions about seven in the evening uh, but it was another day before we went into hospital so actually having to go to bed mm. try and try and get some sleep while contractions are going on all that sort of thing fill the next day uh, you know going for a walk watching episodes of Friends right. uh, just doing things that are comforting and, mm. and 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 relaxing and but it's a very strange thing isn't it that waiting around yeah that sort of liminal zone between pe- being like uh, pe- people and parents <laughs> and again that's not something you ever see on film and TV in film and TV it's always like the waters break go into hospital baby's yes. born that's an important point actually because the way that it's always in films and in television it's always water breaks and then you go into labour which isn't always the case it's largely your water not the case can, yeah your water can break very very late it's usually it's it, get, usually in late I mean yeah. the most usual way for the waters to break it in labour yeah uh, we were told um, so so what can happen is they can break early and then they have to keep a close eye on you normally they would bring you into hospital within 24 hours then because of risk of infection mm-hmm. uh, though that's not always the case um, uh, but or if they're going to induce sometimes and so that's if the baby is running a bit late or, or the baby is in trouble then they might break the waters to try and encourage labor mm. uh, because the baby then sits more on the cervix and that will bring about labor but uh, but most normally uh, it the 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 waters will break during labour and that and that's what happened with us. Right. Okay. Then. So you we didn't were already go, in you didn't, like there was like, certain things that people say you should try like curry eating curry. Yeah. And pineapple. Is it pineapple? It's curry pineapple sex and yes. raspberry leaf tea is meant to make your contractions less. Severe. Uh, oh, and that ma- turned out to be bollocks. Okay, and massage apparently because it can. Sim- no, that does. It can simulate uh, oxytocin. Yes. Is- yes. So the whole this is this was what we were told before in NCT. Mm. The whole thing is about oxytocin. So oxytocin is almost like a sort of mother, a love drug, a mothering yeah. uh, hormone, uh, and uh, it it does a variety of things. One of which is bring on labour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it also gives mothers a huge feeling of love towards their babies when they're born, or can do, uh, and helps bring about breastfeeding mm. as well. So, so actually, in fact, apparently the cry of a baby can release oxytocin, which can make milk flow. 
Ah, okay. Not for me. Yeah. But, um, you know, so it's an incredibly important thing. So I can understand. And the massage thing actually does kind of the sort of base of the spine. Yeah, yeah. Which is the whole TENS machine. um, Yes. So what we largely spent a day doing was playing with the TENS machine. Trying to go to work, yeah. forgotten the batteries. What setting? D- did I let play myself? MP3s. Yes, I did. Well, no, really. Yes, yes, and I'm actually, I well, it's like not not like badly, but it's that kind of thing where uh, I I realised, oh, I'm doing this to you all the time, and then gave myself a little shock, and I thought, wow, how are you not? How are you putting up with this? Wow. Well, because you're in a lot more pain. Yeah, yeah. Did you try Did you try any gas and air? Uh, I didn't try any gas and air. So hang on. First thing, a TENS machine is a little electronic machine which gives you little electric Yeah, you put, you put um, pads on your back and it, it, it gives you rhythmic, like little rhythmic stimulation. Exactly. It's a bit like, in my head, a bit like deep heat in that it relaxes the muscles. Yeah, and, yeah. It's supposed to help with the pain of Electricity. And up to a point it does. Mm. And then it's completely useless, but up to a point it does. And mm. did you try gas and air then? Uh, I didn't. It was really funny. Mm. We, with our NCT class, we got to do that tour of the, the, the hospital at Bath where my children were born. And the uh, we were offered, all the dads were offered gas and air just to, just to give it a go. Yeah. Uh, but I, I actually, I, I didn't. I didn't no, know why. No, I didn't either. So I, the thing we found most difficult is that you are told only to go into, and there's a lot of myths around this, I think, but the official advice is that you should go into the cinema at cinema. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this is very different. That would be so yeah. nice. The, I didn't realise the birthing suite was that nice. The official advice key yeah. is that you should go into the hospital when the contractions are three and ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and more, in fact, we actually ran the hospital to check, as most people end up doing. Uh, not just three and ten minutes once, but but that for an hour. Yeah. Uh, and, and what very frequently happens is you'll have that once and then it will go away again and you'll go back to every eight minutes yeah. or something. And we had that for most of the day. Uh, and that's quite frustrating yeah, we've a- we've actually kept the piece of paper where I where I was recording Morag's contractions. We, yeah, so um, we kept we we kept that. But yeah, we had um, I'm not very good at maths, uh, and but I was using my iPhone as a stopwatch. And well, I nowadays there's apps, of course, of course of, there is. And, and yeah. we used a, I used a contraction app. But you do get into this slightly strange thing whereby, you know, Katie will be on the sofa kind of rocking or something and I'm there with an app going, has it started yet? Yeah. Has it, you know, like with a stopwatch, like some unbearable judge and like, tell me when it finishes. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, or, so you can, yeah. You, you You've got to do into, what the app tell us. Yes. Tell us, yeah. It's yeah. a terrible dad thing, but you do turn into this kind of uh, computerized freak. Yeah, I think men, I think men have this way of like coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And I think one of them is to sort of industrialize the process or make it into a into make it into a system which is understandable. Yes, so. uh, unlock the Xbox achievement contraction. Yeah. <laughs> You've had a baby. Three in ten minutes achievement. Ding! Yeah, yeah, the platinum. Yeah, exactly. So um, and then eventually we went into hospital. I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing beginning to end. I promise. Okay. Uh, at which point it was all very frequent and painful. Um, and then we had, I would say, the typical NHS experience was a mixture of amazing people and slight chaos because of understaffing. Yeah, which is exactly the same as us. Uh, so there were two mid, they were two midwives down, so for a while no one saw us for about... I mean, we got seen straight away, mm. but then we were left alone in the room for about an hour. And what no one really explained to us is that while they tell you to come in at three centimetres dilated, which is about where those contractions fall, you're not in established labour, and that's an in inverted commas, yeah. a, a, until four centimetres dilated. So they check you about four or five hours mm. after three centimetres. And we're sort of sitting there going, when can we have the pain relief? When 
you know, yeah. when can we go into the lovely birthing suite with the pool? Yeah. Uh, and you're not four centimetres. You're getting nothing. Mm. You're getting nothing until four centimetres. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, yeah, our experience is quite similar to that. And I do and I do feel like once the problem is, and I think what was good about NCT is that it did, again, it did teach you that you do have to be quite assertive and take control of a situation. Yes. Because they are not because it feels as though you're, you know, you're a farm animal being put through this procedure, but they're up, they often are understaffed in NHS hospitals yes. and they have to run in a certain way and you have to fit in with that. And we did find ourselves, I think, very much kind of fitting into their agenda more than our own. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think more I could have toyed with the idea of a water birth, but really quite soon it became apparent that that wasn't going to happen. Mm. And you do feel as if, you almost feel, oh, you almost give up the, some of the things that you planned just because you're confused one of you is in a lot of pain. Uh, you don't. You feel completely out of your comfort zone in so many ways, and you are. I, I think you know you're really, really vulnerable, and you're very vulnerable to just. Oh my goodness! Well, let's fit in with this system. How how it's working? And, and without a doubt, I think the most important role, apart from sort of um, emotional support that the dad can play in the birth, is being an advocate for for the mum. Yeah. Uh, and and really, don't be afraid to be a bit of a. a you know, be a bit of a pain in the bum. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you've got to be, you've got to remain super polite, Pol- polite and respectful. Yeah. Be polite, respectful. Like, Remember, these people are overworked. In the, yeah. Our midwife, yeah, in the in the words of Stuart Heritage, yeah, our um, our midwife had been working for longer than we'd been in labour when we went in. Yeah. So she was at the end of a thirty-six hour shift or something because they were understaffed, and and we were just you know gobsmacked by that. Yeah, yeah. But you're very you're very much yeah. You're very much your partner's ambassador, and if she is in pain you've got to remember the things that she wanted and the things she didn't want. You've got to remember at what point she wanted an epidural or because she might not be in a position to talk about that. So you've got to be your wife's ambassador. You've got to be there and you've got to be on it. But you've also, yeah, you've got to be respectful of people in that room because exactly. they're tired and they're exhausted and they know what they're doing. Yes, exactly. And, also, and you don't underpaid want to, for yes, the most part. exactly. And you don't want to humiliate or embarrass your wife or, or, or partner at this incredibly difficult No point no exactly that so we ended up changing midwife uh, because our midwife went went missing again because they're under you know not mm. through anyone having done anything wrong uh but we got one of those really lovely and, and this seems to be quite common that someone will come to your rescue mm. because they're all well-meaning people and, and if you're in need you know nhs staff are amazing at this so this midwife you know she we said please just give us some gas and air because we haven't had anything mm. and she she said i'm not your midwife but i'll do it anyway and then she became our midwife 10 minutes later she's like look i'm gonna look after you right yeah and she said do you want me to get you in the birthing suite by which point it's like no get us the drugs yeah yeah you know? we yeah we, we had i think with a, i think it was with our first son zach it was taking a very very long time and in the end we had a doctor come in to um it wasn't a forceps delivery but he, oh my goodness, I don't know where I'm going with this without being too medical. So maybe I'll to not. Well, ours, ours was a Von Two's delivery, right? So we didn't do that, but he definitely, he definitely opened up. It, there was some handiwork. Yes, there some was handiwork, some, some manhandling. I know, like I, very painful handiwork from the look of Moray's face. Yeah, but it, it it sped it up, but maybe I shouldn't go there because it's too much for Moray. Uh, well, well, this is one of the things that we found is that um, the moment you're in the hands of doctors, everything changes. So yeah. if you have an epidural, then doctors are involved because there's an anaesthetist. They have to check your heart rate. There's all sorts of things that have, they have to check the baby's heart rate, most mm. of all. Uh, so there's all sorts of things that happen once a doctor is involved. It's also, I have to say, was amazing in that it took away all Kate's pain and she was mm. finding things very, very hard. 
Uh, and once the epidural was there, so it did become much easier. But I, I appreciate it's absolutely not for everyone and has, mm. has, has downsides as well. But you do get this thing where doctors are involved. And actually, right at, right at the end, um, after another night's sort of tiny, like one hour sleep, uh, once the epidural had been given, we actually got a bit of sleep. <laughs> Me on sort of a PE mat on the floor. Right. Her, her in the bed. They said, look, we're going to have to deliver the baby's heart rate slowing down. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, suddenly 10 people are in the room. Yeah. Did yeah. you get this? So we, did, we, never got, we never got to that point because Mike didn't have an epidural and everything right. like that. So, But so but, you get this thing where you've been with one midwife and, mm. or a midwife and a student or a, an assistant for sort of 12 hours. Mm. And then suddenly 10 people walk into the room and there's Katie lying on her back. Mm. you know in a, in a position yeah if you know what I mean and and it is that that is a very strange moment I mean mm. I can't imagine you know I was there fully clothed like standing yeah. up and I can't imagine what that's what that's like and actually I had to say look can can anyone leave and the doctor just turned around to one of the students and said out <laughs> um because he realized there were two you know yeah it was actually not pretty it becomes helpful. yeah yeah exactly yeah but again they listened to us you know yeah. it was very helpful and, and they were amazing and very fast like you say doctors are very they know how to speed stuff up yeah yeah so what was it after the after the delivery what do you remember from that because my one memory with zach was um i was really surprised i thought babies would just cry constantly or be asleep and i can remember the first time i held um oh god i'm getting quite emotional <laughs> yeah okay yeah yeah i can remember the first time i held zach and um and he was just looking around the room and I, and I just found it was just amazing because i thought either he'd be asleep and unconscious or he would be crying I thought it would just be this, and it and I and it was the first. And I looked at him, and he was looking around the room, and I just thought, this is like a human being with its. And it just, it was just this amazing moment of just seeing my son for the first time, being a person and being inquisitive about the world, even though he probably couldn't see much. But that it, really struck me, and I'll never forget it. Is it strange for you, thinking now I'm a bit emotional, <laughs> but is it strange for you specifically with Zach thinking back to that, given given later when he was diagnosed with autism and, and yeah. having written the book and everything is it strange thinking back to that day of birth when everything's so it's like a lot of a blank piece of paper yeah it it, it is it, it definitely is looking back to the first because Zach never I mean, hardly slept for like a year two years and he fact he didn't take milk very quickly so we had a couple of stressful days where Morag was trying to feed him and he wouldn't feed and Morag was so upset about it uh, so that was really, really difficult. And in some ways, it's, it, it's really interesting that we learned a lot in those first two days. You know, one that Zach was going to present some difficulties. Even then, like, mm-hmm. it was it was more difficult. <laughs> and also, um, he was crying a lot. And one of the nurses gave him a bath and helped me give him a bath. And he instantly stopped crying. And all the way through his first year of his life, and in fact, all the way through his life till now, baths have really, really calmed him down. Like, Amazing. He's, he's ever upset. So he, even since him. birth, he's been so like that. So from the very first day, he was well. The second day, when the nurse sort of said, "Let's give him a bath," and from that point, he, when he stopped crying, we knew that the bath was something that we had, and there was something about the sensory experience for him that helped him. And ever since then, I mean, he's always enjoyed long baths, mm. and sometimes he'll have two or three baths a day. <laughs> even now, well, actually, now he's eleven, he's sort of kind of come out of that stage. But yeah, it's really interesting looking back. We can, had these little clues, maybe. Can you put yourself in that moment of um, him being born now? You know, you just got quite emotional about yeah. it. Yeah. Does it almost shoot you back there, you know? Def- yeah, I, I think 
Like even um, for ma- massively, but it's a, a massive sensory overload. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I was going to say was, um, you sort of you second guess yourself a lot. It, it, it's the uh, the only other experience I can compare it to is um, either getting married or going to a, a parent's funeral. Mm. In in that you second guess yourself, you're like I'm meant to cry. Yeah, you know, it's the one time you're meant you're you're meant. I am meant to cry with joy here. Yes, or I'm meant to feel a particular way. I, I have to say something. I have to cut the call. What you know, whatever. Yeah, and um, and both of us just burst into tears, and it's completely uncontrolled. Yeah. Actually, when it happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's interesting. I didn't cry Did either of my children's births. No, but I I think I was like feel it was just, it was weird. It was that I have that moment of of holding him in my arms and him looking around, and I was just filled with like. I was amazement, almost like intellectual interest <laughs> yeah. in 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 the fact that oh my goodness he's looking he's curious about the world already, um, but I didn't know I I didn't I didn't cry but I think you're you're right like this I think like films and television and books prepare us for moments and prepare and make us feel as though we should react in a certain way. I wrote a piece actually when my my father died and my my family with him for two days he died of cancer and we were with him uh, through his last days. And through those days, I can remember that you know, that, that we we laughed and joked a lot as a family, and you know we made tea and we sat around with him, and um, we talked about our lives and we talked and we chatted and we had family jokes, uh, and so you know the stereotype of the death experience is oh my goodness it's absolute tra- trauma all the way through, but that's not what we found. We laughed with my dad, and and I think that you know. I, experiences you have to experience everything your own way like you shouldn't be told how to experience anything Mm. you should not do what you feel you should do when you're if you're giving birth or you're a father in that birthing room or if you're at the other end of life you should not feel as though you have to act in a certain way I think that's the really important experience that I've had both at birth and at death like do things your own way and trust your feelings and go and go with them I, th- I think that's a lovely sentiment, and I completely agree with that. And, and next time we're going to talk about what happens once you know, once you've got your baby and it's home, and you're yeah. going home, and we'll talk we'll talk more about that next time. So um, for now, I think it's time to talk about the three things we've learned. Okay, three things we've learned. I love that jingle. Oh, I find it disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> what are the three things we've learned today? So, oh yes, what have we learned? So I think as a father, you're the ambassador for your partner. Um, so you have got to know what her birthing plan is and what she wants because she might be in a position where she can't be assertive on her own. So you've got to be there. Not, just, not just fathers, obviously. It could yes, be, um, sorry. You can have birthing partners, doulas. It could yeah. be uh, another mother. It could be, you know, whatever. But, but Whoever the, you are, if you're with someone who's giving birth, <clears> you yes. are their ambassador in, in that. In that. So exactly that. So they, speak so up for them. Yes, but be respectful of the staff. And number two, I would say, uh, I would add in, be willing to be flexible uh, because mm-hmm. nothing ever goes how you would expect it to go. Um, but trust in the training and essential goodness of people who have chosen to do uh, things in the medical profession because Mm. they're doing it because they want to uh, and because they want to help people Um, so treat them as you would want to be treated but you know yeah yeah and 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 don't don't necessarily go along with everything they say don't be afraid to ask questions but also trust that they probably want the best for you yeah I think yeah and I think (coughs) maybe three allow yourself to experience it in the way that you need to don't feel as though there's a, a rigid rule system for uh, for this experience 
because it's profound and terrifying and, and beautiful and you've got to be allow yourself to experience that in the way that you want to as two people wonderful thank you keith i think that was a lovely episode and i look forward to talking more next time about what it's like when you get home yeah Uh, Thank you very much for joining us, everyone. Um, Don't forget to go online and review and subscribe to the show. And we will see you next time on Day of the Dad. Bye. Goodbye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.